to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. It's the worst thing that can happen to any human being, I believe. Losing a child is the worst trauma that a human being can go through. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This is perhaps one of the saddest episodes we've ever done on The Deep. Sophia has experienced far more than her share of grief and trauma. It's completely unjust. But Sophia still has poise and gratitude and she is such a ray of light. Content warning, this episode discusses the death of a young child. I mean, I'm actually not really sure where to start with you, Sophia, because it's... So much to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. Your life is really... um, Some people believe that we're dealt cards, you know, in life. And if that analogy was used in reference to you, oh, and I can see you getting really upset. Yeah, well, I, yeah, my life has been trauma after trauma. It's been challenging, traumatic. When when were you diagnosed with cancer? Uh, so that was end of August 2020. So we were in lockdown. It was our first lockdown in New Zealand at the time. Uh, I was all alone in hospital. Because prior to this, which is like we're going to jump around because, as you said, there's a few traumas, you lost a child. What was her name? Valentina Grace. Such a beautiful name. (sighs) I've been waiting to have her for so long that my name was picked out for years and yeah so just when she arrived it was just perfect for her she had a very short time on this earth what happened to valentina grace so she lived three and a half years and they were three and a half amazing years um and then just suddenly and tragically, she was hit in our driveway and died pretty much instantly. So, you know, all a lot, your life's going all along one way and then all of a sudden your whole axis is shifted in an instant and you just, you're lost. You don't know what to do. I mean, we hear about this. We hear about children dying in driveways like all the time which is so wild you know because it's 
we're in where it's such a normal part of life. We're around our kids, we're in and out of the car, we're moving around all of the time. And then these moments in time happen with I it's not it's it's an accident, right? It's a tragic accident. And it's so hard to wrap your head around why something like that would happen. How do you give how how does it happen? I'm sure you've sat in the the grief and the questioning of like, you know, how, how, how and, why. and that is how and why and all of the, all of the parts in between. And you think that is enough trauma for one. And I don't even know what's happened prior to her life, but that's enough trauma for one person's existence. Right. What year was that? That was in 2014. November 21st, 2014. And she was your first child? That was my one and only child, yeah, at the time. Mm -hmm. My firstborn that I'd waited, you know, I had her when I was 35. She was longed for for so long and she finally arrived and she was everything I could have hoped and more. Is it... I think I know the answer to this, but is it too much to talk about the accident? I mean, it's I can tell you about the morning. It is it's pretty hard. So, I mean that that night, the night before she passed, um, I decided to go to the gym, and um, she usually she's said she was just the most perfect child. We never had any problems with her, and then that night. And so she always slept in her own bed and went to sleep and, you know, perfect little girl. That night um, when I got home from the gym, my husband said, oh, she wanted to sleep in the bed with you. So I woke, I came in and found her in our bed, and which wasn't the norm, um, but it was really nice. So I, he went and slept in the spare room and I got into bed with her and, I remember that night I woke up at about midnight because I looked at the clock and I was just like overwhelmed with this feeling of emotion and I looked at her face, I looked at her eyes and I just, oh my God, I don't think I could love anyone as much as I love you right now. The, the love was just overwhelming. And then I thought to myself, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how much I love you. And so you wake up in the morning and she's in your bed? Yeah, and we just had this really special moment in the morning where she sung to me, I sung to her, I told her how much I loved her. Uh, She said she wanted to get dressed for daycare in in her fairy outfit. And, yeah, we started getting ready, as as everyone normally does, for their morning. And I made her breakfast, told her to get ready. Um, she was a very generally obedient child and, yeah, did everything you sort of told her to do. And then my husband went to get the car, which was parked down on the road, because he usually takes her to daycare. And... I don't know, for whatever reason at that particular moment she thought he was leaving for good 
because she, she never went out onto the driveway to play. She, as I said, she was a perfectly obedient, good child. She knew never to play on the driveway. And that particular morning, for whatever reason, culmination of factors, timings, she went out. And where were you? I was inside. Did you see that? I heard. And then I can imagine, well, I actually can't imagine. You You don't want to imagine. What happens? Your heart just, your heart sinks and you just, you, you just go, no, no, this can't be happening. Do you stay in that space of this is a nightmare for a while? Like this, is it, you know, they say there's seven stages of grieving and denial is one of the first stages. Is that a big part of it? Like was there a part of you that it was just like this is just a nightmare, this is not happening, this is not happening, this is not happening, it won't happen, it can't happen? For a long time, for a long time. This is not happening. It's just a nightmare. We've got to wake up out of this. And even on the way to the hospital, keep driving just with the ambulance screaming it and going as fast as it can. You just think, this is surreal. This is not happening to me. This is not, this is not meant to happen. No. You think, well, you know this is the worst thing that will ever happen to you, right? You, you know that... It's the, it's the worst thing that can happen to any human being, I believe. Losing a child is the worst trauma that a human being can go through. Was a part of your healing process to fall pregnant again or was that like an essential necessity, like I need this, I need this for my healing? Uh, both, both. Uh, because I'd waited so long to be a mother and when like I didn't actually even when I had Valentina I didn't feel like a natural mother you know it wasn't things didn't come easily or naturally to me but having her it just completed my life like she was everything I dreamed about a child she was perfect and I, I used to pinch myself thinking, how could I be so lucky to get a child like you? Why did you choose me? So, you know, when we lost her, you know, my whole world had ended. Everything that I believed in or thought I was, my whole identity had gone. And I probably couldn't, I still couldn't think straight. You know, it was the end of November. It was November 21, uh, 2014. And I, yeah, I just didn't want to be here. There was no reason to get up in the morning because she was my only child. I had no purpose. You know, it's not like I had to go get the other kids ready for school or, you know, if I wanted to, I could have laid in bed all day because there was absolutely no purpose to my life after losing her. So the only way through I could see was I just knew in my heart that I had to be a mother. If, if and another physical, a physical mother. I knew I'd always be a mother, but a, a mother in a physical sense. So, yeah, I got decided that we have to try. We have to try basically straight away because I knew time wasn't on my side either. 
at my age. Um, mm-hmm. So we got pregnant pretty quickly and I had my second daughter the following year. So it still grieving. Yeah. I was carrying a child, which is probably not the best I wouldn't recommend. But um, it was a necessity more than anything because of my age and timing. I, I couldn't afford to wait biologically any longer to try again. Mm. And so you have this healthy, beautiful girl, another girl. Was that more complex having a girl or did it feel perfect because you lost a girl? How, how does that work out in your mind? I think f- for me personally... Uh, I always knew that I needed to have another girl because when you when you lose a child, you're not just losing the person, you're losing everything around that. You're losing the thoughts and dreams you had for the future. You're, you're losing out on life that was, you know, planned ahead. So... There's a lot of loss wrapped up in grief, not not just of the physical presence of that child, but of everything that was due to come and meant to be. Yes. We have a lot to cover, which is totally impractical with what has happened in your life. How do we do this in a very short amount of time? I'm not sure. But if you allow me to fast forward past the birth of your second child and to when you got your awful news. Can you talk to me about that time during lockdown, the news you received, how you received it, what was going on for you? So, yeah, uh, I got my diagnosis in August 2020, so during our first lockdown, and what was going on for me was I was just starting to get some really bad abdominal pains. Had no idea it was cancer at the time. I just thought, this is odd. Um, but sort of maybe put it down to maybe I've got a gastro bug or maybe it's pre-minotaurs. You know, I was just trying to minimize all the things I could think it could possibly be because in my mind I didn't really have any other symptoms. And, you know, as a mother, you I don't know about you, but I try and save all my leave for my child because yeah. you need it for when they get sick. So, I, you mm-hmm. know, I didn't take any sick leave. I just am so – life's so busy. I didn't really have time to go to the doctor. Um, so I put it off for quite a few weeks, um, but the pain was steadily getting worse and worse and it – almost felt like stabbing someone was stabbing me in the knife with a knife and it was getting to the point where it's become I couldn't sleep during the night because the pain was getting so bad so I decided oh I better ring the doctor and I rang the doctor for an appointment and literally that week we went into lockdown so we couldn't do any face-to-face appointments so I was like oh great perfect timing you know I, I put it off and this is what happens. We get locked down. Um, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll still need to. I still need to follow through with this because the pain was getting unbearable. 
the doctor said, well, first of all, go get a blood test and then we'll determine whether you need to come in for a face-to-face. So I got the blood test. He said, come in this afternoon and we'll have a, have a chat. I went in and he said, well, I actually think you might have appendicitis. Oh, okay. That's better than what you thought. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I thought gastroenteritis might have been better. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, but he said, well, you you know, you'll need, I think it's pretty bad and you'll need to get it out kind of straight away. So I'll see, basically, as soon as you leave here, go home, pack a bag and go straight to the hospital. So um, it was locked down, obviously, and um, I couldn't take anyone with me. So got to the hospital sort of late afternoon. They said, right, we'll need to obviously do some scans and tests, um, and which they all did. took quite a bit of time because we're in lockdown and <laughs> under-resourced and inundated. Um, so I, I think it wasn't until close to midnight that night that I'd had I'd had a scan finally and then a nurse came and found me. I didn't even have a, a ward. I was sitting in a corridor somewhere in a bed waiting. Wow. <laughs> and I basically said, look, this, the scans are not what we thought. Looks like you've got a massive tumour. We need to do something about this right away. And I'm like, gobsmacked. I'm like, what do you mean a tumour? What does that mean? Does that mean cancer? Uh, yes. Like, and I'm pretty sure normally you're not supposed to just hand out news willy-nilly like that. You're supposed to have a support person. You know, you have an oncologist break the news to you gently. Yes. That's what I've always seen in movies or anything. So I was just a bit blown away thinking this, again, another surreal moment in my life. This can't, this can't be happening. And, yeah, they just don't know this is, this is real. This, this is what the scans are showing. Uh, we'll have to get you to see a doctor in the morning, so you'll need to stay overnight. And like, it was already midnight at that point. I'm shattered. And so now you're alone in the hospital with the news of having cancer and no support person and have to wait there overnight. That seems truly cruel and bizarre. And I'm sure your mind is like, and you're Googling all of the things. Well, they didn't know it. They didn't know anything. All they said was, we, all we can see is a tumour. So they couldn't even tell me what cancer. So I had nothing to Google. So I'm lying awake <laughs> thinking all the worst case scenarios. Um, my mind's racing. I, I've never imagined um, so I just have to ring my husband and in tears I could barely speak, telling him it's not appendicitis, it's, it's worse. What do they diagnose you with? So the, the next morning they still couldn't diagnose it. It was all they could say, it was, it was metatastic, meaning obviously it's serious, it's big it's large growing tumor it took a wee while to get in an official diagnosis um but because it was so big and so aggressive within a week 
I was starting chemo. And with this, what was the final diagnosis? What did you have? Is it a stomach cancer? Is that what it's called? It's called follicular dendritic cell sarcoma. So it's a very, very rare type of cancer. I think there's only about 500 people in the world being diagnosed with this type of cancer. Is it genetic? Not genetic. Do you do you think there's a correlation between your loss 100%. and the tumour? Hundred percent, because I mean, I until this day, I I still grieve desperately for my daughter, and I think that just weighs heavily. I don't think I've ever been able to deal with it properly, and I think the trauma, not only the the grieving, but also the trauma of the actual event of losing her. We are still suffering from PTSD from that event, and I think that combined. With the huge gravity of the loss, I think it's the only thing I can put it down to because I was pretty healthy. I exercised daily. I barely drink. I've never smoked in my life. Um, have a fairly healthy diet. You know, there's. I just can't yeah, fathom why I got cancer. The only thing I can put it down to is... The grief that they say just, you know, sits so weighs so heavily, I guess, in your stomach and, you know, and that you're holding on to it internally. That's what I was about to say was, you know, there are books that correlate places in the body with different emotions or what does the stomach represent? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I believe that, it, that if you're holding on to trauma, it's held how, how in, that, in that stomach area. In that place. Yeah. It's so hard though because you're, you're grieving, which would be a natural process of trauma. You know, you're uh, releasing it. You're feeling it. So it's like what else could you have done? What else could you have done to get it out, you know? I think in hindsight now I would probably look at lots of alternate, you know, m- even medicinal <laughs> There's a lot of work I've seen lately about um, psilocybin, you know, the... Psilocybin? Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the micro-macro dosing with uh, psychedelics. Yeah. What have you heard can help with psilocybin? That it, I mean, it takes you back to the event, but it also, it does it in a way that helps release the trauma that you've actually been holding on to. Wow. And I wish that it was legal. Would you do it now? Oh, 100% if would it was. Would you do it? I would 100% do it if it was legal or if I had access to it in New Zealand. Because you seem very um, ready to heal, you know? Yeah. Even though that's not a linear thing and we don't just say, oh, on in three months you heal, but you sound like you're, you'll do whatever it takes. I, I would, yeah. I think, um, like at the start of this journey, I was pretty probably straight and narrow. <laughs> you know, I didn't take illicit drugs. I've, as I said, I've barely drank. Um, I I grew up Catholic, so there's a lot of things that you know are very instilled in you that you shouldn't be doing. One of them is also dealing with the, psych- the psychic world. 
which once we lost Valentina, that was one thing that we found actually did help us. We contacted a well-known psychic in New Zealand called Sue Nicholson. Um, she used to do, she's very well known and um, she helped us heal a little bit too, particularly my husband um, in terms of the, the knowledge that she had about our daughter that no one could have known about the actual events of that day. Yeah, I um, I, I found that respite. I, I can connect with you on that. I know lots of people judge mediums and things like that, yes. but I've had the same experience. Yeah. And, yeah, as I said, before this happened, I, I guess the cynic in me was, oh, no, this can't be true. Um, but now... A hundred percent. My mind, mind is open to mediums, to alternate therapies, to anything that helps you heal and process trauma and get through. Because if you don't, it it basically eats you up from the inside out. Which is your experience. Yeah. You still have cancer? I still have cancer, yes. You're still being treated? I'm still being treated, but it is successful treatment. It's now reducing my size of my tumours significantly. And, yeah, there's 100% hope now that, you know, touch wood, <laughs> that I should go on to lead a happy life. But, I mean, there's always that back of your mind. You, you get the niggles, you get the pains, and you go, is this growing back? Um, and so many stories about people have been in remission. I mean, I'm not at that point yet anyway, but people have been in remission for five years and then it comes back. Um, and I, I do get scared about it, but probably not as scared as I was at the start of the journey because I've, I think I sort of come, came to terms with it, I think more so because I've lost a child, that for me, that isn't the scary part because I get to be with her again. Mm. The hard part for me, particularly when I was diagnosed, was my daughter was only four and I just it didn't seem fair to her to lose her mother. Um, I needed to be there to, to guide her, to teach her values, to, to make sure she, you know, becomes this amazing human that I know she's capable of being and I had to fight to stay alive for her it, it, it's complex isn't it because you get given a diagnosis and you're like well I'm not a, I'm not scared of dying because I get to be with my child and then on the other side if I die I'm not with my other child it's I was torn very complex so complex I was torn between, literally torn between two worlds, the afterlife and here, the present day. And anybody listening would be like, okay, well, that is enough trauma for a lifetime. And then recently, I've been following you for a while now on Instagram. We'll leave your handle in the show notes if people want to follow your journey because God, for someone that has been through what you have been through, the way you can share and your insights and your wisdom and your grace, oh, and I just, that's your daughter's name, 
is so beautiful, so beautiful. I actually don't know how you find it in yourself to give the way that you do. But you had another blow recently. Can you tell us about that? So at the start of the year, literally Christmas time, it seems like Christmas seems to be a it's like a little curse on our family. But yeah, so at Christmas, um, Mum went into hospital literally the week before Christmas uh, because she was getting so ill uh, that she required a blood transfusion. Could I just ask what her symptoms were prior to going to hospital? Yes, she was in a lot of pain. She, she was getting fatigued, um, headaches, just sort of niggly things that you could minimise. Her GP minimised it and they told her to take paracetamol. This went on for about a year. It kept going on and in my mind I'm thinking this is, this is not good. You need to push back, Mum. You need to push back. And I tried to get her to push back. She kept the butt, the butt kept getting passed, and it got to a head when in October I actually went with her to the GP, and I said, "Look, it's probably not related, but I've also got I've got cancer, and I think my mum needs to get a CT scan." We didn't get the CT scan till that week before Christmas, so that was October the. GP appointment, we had the scan in December. And, yeah, unsurprisingly, in my gut, I kind of knew now, having been on the journey that I've been on, that it was not good. Because someone doesn't go for a whole year with this much pain for it not to be something serious. And, um, yeah, the results came back that it was stage four renal cell carcinoma, kidney cancer, and it had spread to her lungs. How old is she? She's 69 young. So she's not... Wow. She's not old. She's not. And, it, and again, extremely fit woman, probably fitter than me, walks for yes. miles and miles every day. Healthy, healthy woman. Did you say stage four? Yes. What happens, is stage four terminal? It it can be. If treatment works, they can come back from it, but if not. Okay. It's the worst stage you can be in. You shared a really heartbreaking photo of your mum in hospital, unwell, And I think it's really important to show those things because lots of people don't get to see the reality of treatment and the day in, day out uh, life of someone that is fighting cancer. So this was diagnosed six months ago and where is she at today? Today she's been told she's only got a couple of months left to live. We got told that. Uh, probably a few weeks ago when she was doing treatment but the treatment hadn't worked at all and the cancer had continued to spread while she'd been undergoing treatment. It brings this whole question of our, you know, what is 
the meaning of all of this? What is the meaning of life? What is it all for? And you have really had a very full spectrum uh, viewpoint of death, you know, from from all angles really, like facing death yourself, seeing someone so young pass away, seeing your mother now in early stages of this process. How do you how do you keep going? I mean, even just to look at you, you're so elegant and put together and calm and you have a beautiful energy. Like how does this how do you do one foot in front of the other? Uh, I think for me personally, um, is to to focus on the gratitude in life. A little, I mean, that's not only the only thing, but that's one thing. Is if you can focus on the gratitude in in the day. Um, yes, life is shit. Don't get me wrong, but there are good parts of the life as well. That the fact that. Every day I'm here, I get to spend it with my daughter, Augustina. Um, and I guess the other thing is my my mum taught me to give. She's always been a selfless, caring woman in spite of the little she had. She gave, she would give the shirt off her back for you. And I think that her values that she instilled in me I think have helped get me through because when you look look in the world, look around the world and what's happening and all the trauma and tragedy and war, you kind of thought, well, you're only a micro dot on this whole chasm. And, you know, there mm-hmm. is still a lot to be grateful for. On my journey, oh my God, I don't, I'm blown away, amount of messages support friends that have visited the number of visitors I've had through my journey who people have just spontaneously flown up to see me um, the gifts that they've sent me and also from strangers people I've uh, from friends from college who I haven't seen in 20 years you know I've been blown away by the love and support that I've received and I think that to me means I'm just grateful for that. That's helped carry me. I, 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 I kind of wonder sometimes mm. if I hadn't had that, how would I have coped? Because those those months that I've spent in hospital bed, lying there feeling utterly sorry for myself, I'd look around and see some of these patients that had no one. And I'm like, you can understand why cancer can really defeat you if you don't have have someone and a community helping to lift you. Um, in New Zealand, you'll know that from your husband that the Māori call it wairua. And I literally could feel the wairua on this journey. There's just the spirit that's in the community in this country that's sort of helping to lift me and carry me through. I think it's beautiful. Is that what it means? It means spirit or soul. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's yeah, my husband. Yeah, I feel terrible. My husband's family are Maori, um, but it, it feels the right word for me. I kind of it, I have an affinity with that word, so I I feel like it is. I think it's 
a spirit or the soul that's help, helping carry you through and li- help lifting you, which is quite beautiful. Yes, yeah, so beautiful. Because there's going to be people listening to this going, holy shit, how can I help? What can I do? What would you say to people that want to support you? Um, well, for, for me personally now, it's my whole focus is on my mother. So um, for me, just, yeah, being there for me because obviously – I do put on a brave front most days, but then there's some days it does just overwhelm you. And I, and I think those are the days where, you know, people who can see you, truly see you and know the pain you're going through, all they need to do is just send a message to say, I'm thinking of you, or would you like me to pick up your child? Would you like me to make you a meal? And this is what I say to anyone going through this cancer journey. Those little things make such a huge difference. That it doesn't need to be big gestures, but small gestures really help someone going through this journey. You know, pick up the phone and say, just been thinking of you. I mean, that's that would be my advice to anyone going on, on this. Do you or have you spoken about death with your mum? Have you spoken about it as in, you know, where it's all going to happen to all of us at one point? It is the final moment. Does she, I've always wondered that how people that have a time line or a date, how that is. How is that? It's... <laughs> It's it's really hard because even though you get told, I mean, I got told three, three to six months. Did you for yourself? Yes. Wow. Okay, so you can talk about this first person. Please tell me. So, yeah, um, basically I was told to start preparing, preparing for the end in terms of get your – Get your finances all in order. Get your will in order. Think about what you want, how you want your funeral to be. Um, make sure you've got your memories and your records set up for your daughter. So I had started to record some messages for Augustina. I'd got my will in order spoke to people about who I wanted to support my husband um, with what I wanted out of life for my daughter. Um, And then, yeah, I'd started thinking about my funeral in terms of what I envisaged, even though it's really hard to imagine Yeah, I had to sort of put myself in what would I want my funeral to look like. Wow. I can't even imagine. It would be the strangest thing to be doing all of the things for the last time or or one of the last times. It would be always there like, oh, will this be the last time I – 
go to get my coffee from this place or would this be the last time I watch this film I love so much or is that there is it kind of like everything is about to be finished yes yes it definitely is so like there were things that I, I guess because I'd lost Valentina as well there was a lot of that I never got to do that with her I never got to teach my daughter to ride a bike so for me it was very much there's so much I need to tick off. I need to do this with Augustina because I never got to do it with Valentina. So I need to make sure she can learn to ride a bike. I need to make sure she knows how to, re- you know, I wanted to read some of my favourite books. I want to watch some favourite movie, my favourite movies with her that I might never get to watch with her. You know, I want her to know who I am. Yeah. Oof. It's just a wild thing. And now your mum, your your tumour is shrinking and now your mum is in this phase and now she's thinking those things with you, right? Yes. How do you then, like, this is what's so interesting. I was talking about this with someone today. How do you still live right? You still have to feed the children. You still have to have showers. You still have to, you're here with us talking right now. And then still want to make sure you soak up every single moment with her that is left, you know, because life is still happening, even though that still exists. How does that happen? Like two or three months left, you're just like, how do you um, be in two places at once, I guess is my question. Very, very hard. I, At this particular point in time, it, that's why I'm so emotional today, is I feel very run ragged. You know, I've still got a very hyperactive seven-year-old who she does a, an activity every single day after school, Um and she de- she demands a lot of attention. I'm trying to to see my mum morning and night every day. I'm also trying to work <laughs> between that. Yeah, it's I'm sort of running on empty at the moment. But for me, I it's it is what it is. I I'm I know it's not going to be forever, unfortunately. So for me. The pain that I'm in now is nothing compared to what my mum's going through. Wow. And as you, you know, as you mentioned before, that you know I appear groomed, but when you said how do I cope, I think going back to one of your previous questions and how do I cope and get through each day, that's also one of the ways. You know, gratitude, the wild, or all of that has helped. But also for me, I put on a mask every day to get through every day. I get up, choose an outfit, do my hair and makeup, and for me that's kind of like an armour. I put it on and I'm out there ready to face the day. And whatever I'm feeling underneath, that has to be put to one aside because I just have to cope. I have to be the strong one for my daughter. I don't. Yeah, I don't need her to deal with the, the pain of what I'm going through right now. I can sort of 
when the time's right, when mum's gone, I can, yeah, probably collapse into a ball <laughs> at that point in time. But at this particular point in time, I have to be the strong one for my mum because she was the strong one for me. So I just put my armour on, put on a pop of colour and just, yeah, get through each day by day. I think I can say for every single person listening to this right now, and it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people, that I'm just sorry I'm sorry for everything. I'm sorry for it all. I'm sorry this has been your story. You know, some people believe that our souls choose our human path. And this is a hell of a, a life, you know. It's a it's a huge amount of challenge and trauma and resilience and you know, only someone really, really incredible could do and turn up the way you turn up every single day. You're you're incredible. You really are. I just wanted to acknowledge that I'm part of everybody listening going, how does somebody get given so many traumas to overcome and still have such dignity and grace and kindness within them? You know, so just wanted to acknowledge that in you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Zoe. Uh, I just think that, you know, you only have one life and I think you, when you're looking at the other end of it, as I have and as my mum is, you kind of think, well, what, what have I got to show for my life and what do I want to be remembered for? And I think at the end of the day, the only thing that people are going to remember you for is how you treated them. How you made them feel. And how you made them feel, exactly. So, you know, that's how I just try and live my life. Um, regardless of how many days I have left, that's, I think if you can live your life with kindness and compassion for others, it will be reflected in the next life. And, and people will remember you for that. That is so beautiful and profound for all of us to take with us into our lives because you never know what you're going to be dealt with or be blindsided with or have to face. So I appreciate that. Now, I don't know if you've heard our show before, but I feel like this question might be a confronting one, which is, who are you when no one's watching? <sighs> Yeah, that is, that's pretty confronting. Um, I guess like a lot of people, I'm scared. I'm vulnerable. And I guess scared of showing my true self. What is that? What do you think that is? Your true self? I don't think even I know the answer to that. I'm still learning. Um, as I said, I've tried to be a good person and try to show kindness and compassion to others, but I still question, have I done enough? Is there more that I could be doing? You know, at the moment, because 
there's so much happening in my life. I worry that I'm not giving back enough. I think we could all agree that what you're doing is enough (laughs) right now. I don't think you need to worry about being of service to anybody else other than what's in front of you, truly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving us your time today because it is so precious. You have many places to be, important people to be with, and I know it was a hard day for you to talk to us, but you once again have risen with such grace and eloquence and wisdom to share with us today. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you for having me. And I hope that a little of what I said might help other listeners out there who are going through similar trauma. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you'll hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.